Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. Today, Peter and I are going to continue to talk about issues around the COVID-19 pandemic. We want to provide hope and encouragement for you, and we're going to be realistic too. Uh, what are you focusing on these days? How do you see uh, what's happening? Do you tend to focus on the things that um, you can, we call them the tangibles, the material things that you can see and measure, maybe they're going away, uh, maybe things don't look so good in that way, money or time or health. We want to encourage you today to look at what we call the intangibles. They're sort of the intrinsic things that mean so much and can be so fulfilling. They're, uh, it's a time to discover that or rediscover it, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody, good to see you. And I'm glad to be here today. You know, it's interesting because we've done a couple of things. We've been reading a lot of op-ed pieces and a number of periodicals and newspapers that are really good. And you know what's interesting? They're saying the same thing we do, and that really, I love that. And they all have their own language, but they're all saying pretty much the same thing. And it, it, they're, they're offering encouragement and hope. They're also being very realistic about what's going on right now, and they're told that it can take on people, but offering them a different path. And that's what's exciting. Not the pandemic, not the broken, and the world is a broken place, and it's got lots of troubles to it, we know that. That's not exciting. It's finding hope and finding value and change and purpose through the difficulties and the suffering and pain. So I think that's, that's the part that's exciting. And to one thing we don't, you didn't mention, and that is we've helped so many people recover and get back on their feet from trauma. Absolutely. And um, I think at this point in my life, I feel more like a mentor and a consultant than anything else. Uh, and I'm glad of it. It's taken me a long time to come back, but I'm, I'm glad that I don't just see things from a clinical perspective anymore. I th see things as, a, as I'm dealing with my fellow human being, and I, that means so much to me, because helping my fellow human being is a way that I get help myself. I just feel fulfilled by doing it. When I was doing it clinically, that was a, that's part of my career. I had a certain format and a certain way of doing things. And it, it's been good, and it's been fulfilling, and it's done helped thousands and thousands of people, and I'm very grateful. At the same time, it was very limiting, and I didn't realize that um, until I ran into the, late, the, the things in my life now that are very difficult, and that's life. And I wish I could say that in a glib way, but I can't. It's very difficult. And it's interesting because I can be more open with my fellow human beings, my neighbors, and I can feel okay about doing it, even if the subject is a little uncomfortable for everybody. But that's life, too. Um, and uh, we're talking about sickness, dying, and death, mm -hmm. and the effects it has on loved ones. 
we talk about that being an extraordinary reality. It is, yeah. And that we, you, we have been a part of uh, in our work for many years, and now because of the virus, so many, everyone else is in this situation right. of, of facing these issues of possible death and dying for us or for those we love. You know, I'm glad you did that. You bridged to what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. And uh, we, we've found so much new material, and we've also looked at a lot of our older material from the last crisis, and it's almost prophetic because a lot of the things we wrote 10, 11 years ago during the Great Recession, mm -hmm. I'm astounded by looking at, we had them published, we had it professionally published, they were in newspapers, we wrote a book, and you know, it was a very um, tough time, very tough. It was tough on me, it was tough on everybody. And the interesting thing is how productive and creative we were, and we still are, and we continue to be, but I was able to go back and look at some of our old writings, and I'll be honest with you, it's prophetic because the things we talked about 11 years ago yeah. are happening now. It's, it was the, these are both crises, and there are very basic things to keep in mind and to hold on to, yeah. to work your way through the crisis. Absolutely, and the, and the reevaluation of our lives. We do have, you have the time. I mean, you got, people I talk to, one of the things is they have a lot of time on their hands. And you can go, with, you can go two ways with that. You can really sink, and get very depressed, we've seen that. We've seen people get physically ill, not from the virus, but from the stress and distress and the fears. Or you can begin to rethink your, the purpose of your life and get, it became, it, you have time to crystallize some of that and look at, look at what really matters in life and what's really important. To me, that, that, that stands out more than anything. Um, and I, I feel that this is a time and that's, that's happening again, only on a bigger a worldwide scale. So uh, this is a very important time. But we've been, we've been writing, we've been, uh, I think we've, we've, we've quoted uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl, and he was in a Nazi concentration camp for four years. And he came out, he was a psychiatrist and a, a neurologist, I think. And interesting, like, he wrote about how to find meaning and purpose and hope in the midst of horrible, that's horrible his, That's his best known book, it's Man's Search for Meaning. That was, a, that was his big one, and then the one that's just been discovered is called, uh, what is it called? It is called, <laughs> uh -oh. oh, okay, all right, let's see, I know I had it. Um, it is called, let me flip page. Minute. Hold on, Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. Isn't that great? It's just been translated from German into English. And you know what's amazing? It has such a contemporary sound to it. Yes. It was written a long time ago. It was just it was just discovered. Yeah. It was one of my I, I one of my inspirations when I was getting my masters. I loved it. And when I it's almost like he's coming back into my life. So I, I'm that, I'm very happy about that because I've thought so much of him. But anyway, um, today we're gonna I guess we need to talk a little bit about what people are going through. Sure. And uh, before we, I want to go back, because last week we talked about the people at the front lines, the first responders, the nurses, the doctors, the paramedics, whew, uh, folks that are right there in some very frightening, heart-wrenching circumstances. And I've read a lot about what they're going through. The toll it's taking on them and on their families. And yes. And we've talked about paramedics before. We've talked about first responders before. And um, it's funny because I read the newspapers and I read these 
these editorials, and they're talking about it too. Um, these folks are going through such incredible, overwhelming, heart-wrenching circumstances, and so touching. And I, one of the ones that, I, I, that touched me the most was a 24-year-old nurse who was uh, working in a, a, a crisis ward in, um, I can't remember which hospital. Yeah, she was in, uh, you're right, she was in uh, Delaware. Okay, Newark, Delaware, mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, but I thought it was so touching because she could speak so, with such a heartfelt compassion about what she's been seeing, what she's went through. And she writes about um, how overwhelmed these particular hospitals, particularly the East Coast, are. And there, obviously there's people that are dying. And she was talking about, there was a 75-year-old gentleman, and he had the uh, COVID-19 virus, and he was dying. And uh, he was alone because no one was allowed to see him his, his family, family. wasn't allowed in the room. And he was dying, and he was alone. And she came in, and the nurses were all too busy to... And she took time, and she spoke about how she lowered the lights and put some music on and did some comforting things with his dried lips and just held his hand. And, and, uh, and, and she spoke about, then she, she took a... a she, it says that she had an iPad. An iPad. And that she was able to, um, she said, uh, finally she held an iPad close to him so he could see the face and hear the voice of a grief-stricken relative Skyping from the hospital corridor. And he died after that. And she was there. And she said, I'm not one of these nurses that can pretend to just go on like everything's okay. And uh, someone saw her afterwards in a, in a quiet hallway and she was crying. She was grief-stricken and devastated. And that's a, that's a very important thing to see somebody able to do where she could, she could push her pause button and give him everything he needed in such a human way. It was non-clinical. It was human. It was touching. She was going to. She was watching a man. She knew he was at really toward the end, and she was there for him in a very human, touching way. And she says, "You know, I'm. I just couldn't pretend afterwards that it's. I just go on and everything is just goes on as usual." She says, "I'm one of those people that it really it touches me." And she's. And then somebody had seen her in a hallway afterwards, crying, and her alone. So I thought that was very beautiful and very touching. That's one of many stories. Um, but we've been talking about people who live this extraordinary reality we do, and other people are doing it now, even in a much more intensified way, because they're in hospitals, they're in the front lines, they're in the IC units, the, e the ER units. I have some of my good friends that are nurses um, that are working, and I know the stress they're under. Although the friends I have don't even like to admit it, they're big macho people men particularly, and, uh, but I know they're going through a lot. And I, they, they unload with me without even realizing it. <clears throat> and they're pretty distressed people right now. But I, I, I think that we've talked about the fragility of being in this extraordinary reality. If you're one of the workers, in the, uh, it's so easy to get to the point of being so broken and so uh, burned out and depressed and feeling hopeless. What I didn't remember is how high the suicide rate is for yes. first and and with the mental and the mental health problems that 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 these folks have. I mean, it's it's known, but now it's so much more. It's a tragedy. It is really getting to be. And I, I, they were talking about. I'm trying to remember, but there were 20 suicides in one. 
that article that we just quoted from was from a paramedic in uh, somewhere in the Midwest yeah. who had experienced his department in this town had, in the last several years had had I think it was 15 had had the 20 suicides yeah. and at that point he was he was very concerned and wanted to do something about that's it. That's right, and he picked up on some kind of uh, something on one of the websites of one of the paramedics, and they were raging, and they had, and they felt that they had no reason to live anymore. Yada, that's yada. in the present. That was right that's now. That's now. Yeah. And he made sure that 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 guy's therapist, he found out who it was, gave him that information, gave him a heads up right away. Yeah. Well, I think that these are really important things. This extraordinary reality, not everybody does so well in. No. Um, we talk about ways to develop resilience during this time, and we know that it works because we've been through it so many times, and um, we're affected deeply and emotionally um, and heart in such heartfelt ways. There's, we go to our knees emotionally, believe me, in our own time um, after we take care of others. There's no question about it, but we do it in a way where we make sure we're there for the person that needs us at the time but we don't fool ourselves into believing that it hasn't affected us. And we're able to, because of our training and our skills, we're able to pay attention to how our bodies are, are absorbing um, a lot of this energy and a lot of this trouble that people are having. Let's come back to that, because I think that that's another key that we want, we want to talk about again. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter and I are again talking about some of the uh, experiences, uh, just before our break, the experiences of first responders, doctors, and nurses during this pandemic. And the incredible, um, tragic burden, uh, emotionally, physically, uh, that each of them is taking on in the work that they're doing. It's a very sacrificial, they, they're called hidden heroes, and that's a, a, a real accurate uh, phrase for what they're doing. Right. What we want to offer today is some insight into how to work through some of this burden that's taken on, the emotional burden uh, from witnessing uh, being present in, in great suffering, and how to recognize that it's happening and what to do about it. Okay, well that takes us back to a number of episodes where we really, we, we designed this, these programs to, where we, could, we wanted to reach more people with the skills that we have um, to teach them how to read their bodies, how to be aware of the kind of people they are, which is empathic type people. And what, you know what that means? It means people that are more giving and they're more open and receptive and usually more sensitive. Um, that means they can give more, but they also take on more. And a lot of, uh, especially first responders, but a lot of caregivers um, have the warrior mentality. And that is, they just keep plugging away and uh, they don't pay attention to those things and they don't need to. And 
Well, what I've really found many times with that is it's because they have such deep fear about what they're, what they're seeing would scare anyone. That's Terrifying. part of this article was saying that, what was the phrase, I'm going to look at it, if, that if they feel that if they pause to get help, they will crash. And you know, I've, some of them are my are good friends of mine. I've been in workshops with them, not running them. But they asked me to participate. And the supervisors, in fact, one of them was very uh, important in the area, in this area. She was one of the ones I'll never forget. She says, and she says, how can I count on them if they're going to let down and fall apart? And then what do I got in my hands? She, and we're, we're talking about at the time that they were going to let down at the time. Mm -hmm. She just felt at that point that if they let down, what was going to happen to them? Would they be able to pull themselves together when they were needed? And the truth is, most of, of course, because yeah. we do it with ourselves. And not everyone really understands that. Though. No, no. There's a kind of a like you said, a warrior culture where you're to be self-reliant and available and dependable all the time, and that anything else means that you're becoming a, a, a possible weakness to the team or unreliable. Unreliable. And it's a, it's a mistake. We've been confronted. Uh, misunderstanding. Of it's how a misunderstanding. We work. Yes. And I know that people asked for, in the military asked for clarity, went with clarification when we were at some of the conferences and did. Um, did presentations and they would say well it really sounds effective what you do and how you get the body uh, purged of all that pent-up emotion and, and pain that people uh, take on and then they were many of them uh, have been friends of ours since but they said but what about our people like the Navy SEALs Marines that, that have to go right back out they have to be combat ready yes and you know you know what we told them we put people we make sure they're put back together so they can respond appropriately to, to the present situations. It takes some skill, I won't deny it. Um, I know all of our staff knows how to do this. And they can take care of themselves and if they have to get right back into the front lines, they can do it. It does take practice, it does take mentoring and skill, but it's absolutely doable. Um, and, we had to and we told them that, and that we wouldn't just send people in, you know, like open wounds back into very difficult situations what we would be interested in, what we're interested in, is to make sure they, they have the appropriate defenses back in place for what they're going to deal with. So we know how, to, we know how important that is. And for first responders, they have some misunderstandings. And I was reading an article that spoke about the mentality of a first responder, and I'm thinking about, man, we're not the only ones that see this. Where they really have an, an attitude of, you just got to go on, you got to just keep moving forward and tough it out and uh, um, you know they self reliant self reliant very absolute self reliant and they live in a very insulated world yeah. well let me tell you what happens in that world that they live in they begin to unravel all of them and eventually, eventually. yes and I know you know one of the big things that they do a lot of a lot of uh, talking about is alcohol yeah drinking I yeah. swear yeah. It, to them it's like part of their culture and it's actually they, it's like a self-medication, but the way they do it, they do they yeah, do a lot of damage. They also turn on each other, like on a dime. Yes. And they take a lot of these things out that they're carrying mm -hmm. on each other. They take it out on each other. That should, that should be a, a red flag. That should be a warning that there's, that there's somebody that's really in trouble. Instead of accepting that as, oh, that's okay, and it's not. you got to do something to help this person. Um, but un I know that at this time, with the kind of distress these people are under, mm -hmm. they don't see their families, they can't, there's not much time to let down, and they're, they are turning on each other, and they are 
um, in trouble, and it, they're terrified. They're really scared. They're afraid that they'll be next. Yeah, and the or their families. They're afraid or if they family. go home yeah. that they'll infect their families. That was the other story out of this article, um, the one that you shared about the nurse with the patient who died. Mm -hmm. The other one that really um, hit me personally was the doctor who was so thoroughly careful of cleaning everything on his body, all his clothes, notes, papers, books, everything before he went home because early in the pandemic, uh, both his mother-in-law and father-in-law contracted the virus and passed away. And, they were and living he with did it. not know whether it was because yes, yes. of him. So it's Imagine guilt. living with that. No, I guess survivor's guilt. And the story about how that went down was so horrifically painful to hear. In that he was burying, his, I think, his mother yes. from it, and his father was in the hospital. And they got they got notified uh, during her funeral mm -hmm. that his father they had to get the right to the house because his father was going to go very quickly. So they then had to they buried the mother and then they had to rush back and bury the get the father, father died. See the father, right? I mean, the, these people are being hit with a lot, and you know we the truth of the matter is we all do. And I think about the life I live and the kind of things that I'm facing and dealing with. I'm not alone, although at times I feel like I am. Because it's a very difficult thing. It's not one thing. You know, your life doesn't stop because you're helping others. Your life goes on and there's other tragedies and traumas in your life that you have to deal with. A lot of these first responders, for instance, they go home and their, their spouse who's been working doesn't have a job, so they're financially strapped. Their kids are home because they can't go to school and they're raising hell already. And that I've heard from more than one person. How do you manage having the kids home? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so they come home all stressed out. The, the frontline workers, and they're coming home to more stress and trauma yeah. because of what's going on in their personal life. And to tell you the truth, from the articles I read, not too many of them know how to cope with it and deal with it. No, that's what we would like to, the message we like to get out is there are things to help that can be done. And they're, they're, they need to be faced. And first thing you got to face is your own vulnerability that when we're overwhelmed as, as first responders and people on the front lines helping others in tra with trauma, that uh, we're going to get overloaded too. I mean, we're going to absorb these kinds of issues, uh, and after a while it takes a toll on us. And then if we have things going on in our personal life, that that's got to be dealt with too, and that could be really... Yeah. I certainly have that going on right now. But the difference is we've learned we build it right into our training with our staff, how to take care of ourselves emotionally, how to push the pause button, even the off button at times. But the pause button means you're going to get back to it later when you realize where, what you're feeling, what your body feels like, um, what you've absorbed, and that it's time for them to get some help. Yeah. We help all of our own, to be honest with you. We take care of our own. Um, we believe that we can help, and we do, it's worked for years. We don't have much turnover rate. We just keep increasing our staff. Turnover rate is almost none because we know how to keep people going and take care of them. We're certainly supportive and compassionate. We do pull together as a team. And we, we do, we absolutely work together as a team. But we also know when people are in trouble mm -hmm. on our staff that we take care of them. When, if they need to be pulled off the front line so they can have some time to decompress that emotion that they're carrying in their body if they're in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. We pull them off the front line and we put somebody else in their place and then we use our 
um, services, you know, work that I've designed over almost 50 years, maybe a little less, about how to deal with the body and how the body is so important in how it, it absorbs and takes on um, so much of this distress and how it can make you feel just terrible and make you feel terribly sick. The statistics we've heard lately about uh, the physical uh, aspect of the problems for first responders, there are higher cancer rates, um, higher, they, they... Higher suicide rates. Higher suicide rates, they're higher, they die earlier, life expectancy earlier. Fifteen years shorter. And this is physical manifestations of the stress that they take Absolutely, on. and they work divorce rates 80%. It affects relationships too. It's unheard of. But the it, good news is that there, there are ways to work this That's out. the thing that why we're doing these shows, because we want to reach people, we're looking for ways and inroads to touch people's lives are going through this before this gets so destructive to the workers, to the first responders, the paramedics, the doctors, the nurses. We know that things can be done. We know what to do. We do it for ourselves. And we want to reach out to as many people as we can, and that's why we felt the podcasts and the YouTube televised presentations were so important. Um, and I'm, I'm a greater believer in it now than I even was before when I see Whoever knew that we were going to have this COVID-19 crisis? We knew there'd be crises, but we didn't know when that would come yeah. or what it would be like. Yeah. And all the things that we've been teaching are very relevant. I think they're relevant, too. I just want to throw in that I think they're relevant for everyone right now. They are. Certainly first responders and medical personnel, but yeah. everyone right now yeah. is under stress because of the pandemic. That's right. Okay, so are we on another break or are we... Oh, we're okay. The producer... By the way, we're in his kitchen. Yes. Because uh, the studios have been closed. This is... We're sheltering in Steve's place. Yeah, so we're staying... And this has been going on and it's, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Yes, yes. He's very generous in, in doing this and he likes to do all kinds of tech stuff, so this is good for him too. He likes it. Um, what am I going to say? <laughs> I lost my train of thought here. Well then, why don't we go ahead and take a break? Uh, we can do it now, and then we come back. And sure. We'll get we'll get rolling again. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host. Peter and I are talking about, again, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And in our last uh, segment, we were particularly zeroing in on uh, emergency workers, uh, medical personnel, people who are taking on a real uh, load of stress and distress uh, serving us, serving the people who are getting sick uh, right on the front lines and how that can affect their physical health, their emotional health, their families, their relationships. However, we do want to say 
there are ways for them to work through and deal with this emotional, energetic burden that they can come out the other side mm -hmm. doing better, and that's part of our hope that our message. I hope out. so. And we talked about this: how the specific emotional burdens reflect themselves in, in the body. And I know we've done some very specific talks on that. We have, yes. Um, we live. We know how important that is. Um, you know, our bodies are almost on automatic in certain ways that we know how to read our bodies so well that it almost speaks to us. We can hear the message that you're hurting and you're, you've taken on a lot and you better let go because it's not, this won't go well if you keep holding on to it. Now, I, I've learned to be very respectful of those messages in my body. And it usually works because I've been doing this work for almost 50 years and I intend to keep going for an awfully long time and do even more and um, get more creative and, and more uh, applications in real life and I love doing it. That doesn't mean that things are easy. My work isn't easy. My personal life, of course, is very difficult with my wife, very sick and dying, and um, my mother is too, and she's almost 95. So uh, it's not like life is easy. It's just that that's what I do. And I find ways to uh, emphasize some self-care in my life to keep going, and that really is very important. Um, a lot of people that do this work tend to diminish that and you can't mantra your way through this. You gotta make sure there's some self-care time. But you know, one of the things we also talked about, uh, I think a, theologian, a theological professor at Duke did a beautiful paper. Kevin Rowe. What was the name of everything? Kevin Rowe, and his article was in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. It's called Dying Gives Us a Chance to Confront Truth. Okay. It's a beautiful article, yeah. and it was in the Wall Street Journal. It was in the Wall Street Journal. It's a beautiful... It really jumped out. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. And you know what's really interesting? There's an intellectual professor, and to read this article, there was something to it before I even knew what he, why he was able to do this that was so heartfelt and human, and had such a deep understanding and compassion of the human condition, particularly facing death and dying and sickness. And why? Because he's taking care of his wife, who's very ill and is dying. And he's a, these are not old people. And he writes from such a heartfelt understanding of what you go through. He, re, he referred to something that's really stuck in our minds. It's called Ars Mariendi. And it was a, some kind of um, church or through the middle, in the Middle Ages. It had to do with the art of dying. And it had to do with principles. How to prepare. How to prepare. And it, it, it particularly saying when you have time, you can do, you can, there's so much to be learned. There's so much authenticity and purpose and, re, and genuineness to come to through as, as agonizing it is, as it is. It is an incredible, valuable experience. I know because I'm going through it. And I've been through it with other people, but I'm going through it personally too with my, and my wife. And you know, most people today speak of, oh, a quick death, is, it's, so, it's such a blessing. Quick and painless. And you know what? Yeah. I don't agree. I think this Ars Mariendi has a lot to, to uh, teach. It definitely is a spiritual uh, understanding, but also very down-to-earth. Very practical. Practical understanding, too. Yeah. And, and I, I love it. And he talks about the, uh, the um, COVID-19 pandemic, and he was saying, well, talked about how anxious people are and fearful, which is absolutely a given. And then he says, 
there's something that many people think about, what's behind this high level of anxiety? Great question. And you know what he says? It's they have mortal fear. What does that mean? They're afraid of dying. We all have that in us. We have personally been in a culture that has been so death de denying mm -hmm. and is filled Avoiding. with such distraction that we don't even want to think about it or even go near it. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, our unconscious and our nervous systems, they respond. And enough people have enough of this denial in them that when that other part gets triggered off and all of us have it, people have made themselves very sick from the distress, mm -hmm. not from the virus. No. Because it's, it's such a potent, particularly people who've had trauma in their pasts, yes. um, have such a fear of not surviving that it's, in, it's a distortion in the nervous system. And what happens is they go off the deep end with paranoia and fear. They become panic. Panic. Yeah. And what's the panic about? That they're not going to survive. Mm -hmm. um, this is happening an awful lot, and it's manifesting itself in lots of different ways in, in what's happening now. But I see so many people that are consumed with fearfulness. Um, you know, it, it, it's disturbing because there's the normal fear that makes sense, that has to do with taking some precautions that makes sense. But this is, we're talking about a fearfulness that is so overblown and so out of control that it's causing people to act in some very negative ways. Um, I've seen it where it's, they become almost like uh, there, there's an embitterness, there's a distrust of their fellow man, there's uh, a threat, a feeling of constant th threat. And it's intense at times, and I've seen it too many times. Yes. But I, you know, when we talk about it and I realize that's the negative that can happen. When people don't know how to deal with it, and many people don't, they're not living in an extraordinary reality every day like we do, so they're being confronted so hard and fast. But that does happen, and it's not going to come, it doesn't manifest itself. When that fear of death comes on like that, it causes an awful lot of problems. But there's also good things that can come out of it too. Yes. And there's a, there is a, it brings you down to a real genuine place. Um, a place that we, we need to be, we need to be, become more thoughtful about. We need to look at ourselves and our lives and take the time to reevaluate where we are. Well, this pandemic is giving people the opportunity. Um, the, uh, the author of the article was talking about the freedom that can come from letting go of what doesn't matter anymore. Uh, when, you, when your time is short, uh, mm -hmm. You stop worrying about little things that aren't going to matter, and that gives you a freedom. That's uh, what he meant by truth. What is the truth about what really matters in life? And when everything else kind of gets set aside, what are you down to? It seems to strip it down to that place. Yeah. It comes. It's agonizing. I, I wouldn't no, minimize it. it's not painless. It. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you, when it brings you to the place of looking at yourself and, and coming to a place of really re-examining your purpose in life and why you're here and what you're here to do um, and learning to be truthful and genuine and caring. It's a, it's, it can be such a hopeful place um, it, and it, makes, it, it gives you a certain appreciation and gratitude, not for the big things, not for the tangibles anymore, but the things that are so small and intangible. Um, you know, just to learn to appreciate the, the breath that you take. You wake up in the morning, your loved one wakes up in the morning, 
that's a good time, that's a beginning. Um, to see it, just lift your eyes up and look at the beauty, look at the clouds, look at the hills, and take a little time. Um, you begin to value things so differently. Um, this is the intangibles. Yes, yes. And every article we've been reading lately in the newspapers and editorials as talk, are talking and everyone has their own labels for it. Um, but they're talking about tangibles versus, versus intangibles. Intangibles, material things versus the things that, that aren't material, the things that, that matter so much that you can't hold, like relationships, love, caring for others, uh, the moments that you talk about. Um, and we're also in some ways kind of going back to Viktor Frankl now about what means the most and what do we hang on to, what can we hang on to to be positive, not take that negative spiral down. Um, it takes some determination. I think Viktor Frankl is very clear that we can't always choose our circumstances, but we can choose how we respond. We do have choices. And I know that he is so right about yeah. that. Um, I guess it takes suffering and struggle and pain and things feeling like we don't have control for us to begin to look at the core of so much that really matters and all of a sudden coming up with these universal truths. And you know what's amazing? All these people that are writing, and they're pretty profound articles these days, they're all coming to the same place, so they seem to know about it. They have different ways of describing what, they, what their labels are, um, but it doesn't matter. It's talking about the intangibles. It's talking about internal motivators versus external. Right. Right? Right. The, the example of that is that uh, the kinds of things that become burdensome are when uh, we are trying to uh, keep up with rules or external uh, requirements or avoiding trouble. Uh, that kind of external motivation, like I've got to get that done for that reason. The internal ones, or the intangible ones, are the ones that mean something to us. Personally. Personally. Right. And the we others find are, fulfilling. That's right. The others are to, are all external motivators, all external rewards, pay, power, money. Um, it, it has to do with externals. And and we should we should say too that it is a balance. There are th there are things you must do in life to for the external things, right. for the survival, for right. for what you for what you need, but. To neglect the internal intangibles is to just, it's almost, I, this is not religious, but it's like a soulless experience. It is, uh, it is uh, very negative, very um, depleting. What is, what is? To live only focused on the tangibles. Well, what's really, it's a very fragile line of defense and security that can be pulled away as we find out during these crises like that. Yeah. And people have put so, they're invested so much in their security and their well-being and their identity. Corporate people are, they can't even see themselves as separate from their corporations or the roles that they have in the corporations. That gives them their sense of security and purpose. Take away the corporation, all of a sudden they don't know who they are and what they don't know what to do. And many of the people are experiencing that now as they're having to work from home. The, the, the security of the corporation is not the same. That's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, God, I was thinking about something along those lines. Um, Why don't we take a break and you can take a moment. I have it. I got it in my mind, but do we want to be a break? Because I, I got it. 
You got it? Mm -hmm. We are supposed to take, I'm looking at Steve. We're supposed to take a break. Oh, okay. okay. We'll take a quick one. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And I've left Peter hanging, he's ready to go. We're talking about uh, the COVID pandemic and about, uh, I'm gonna let you just start. Well, we're, we're talking about the COVID pandemic, but we're also talking about um, coming to a place that's, that's, you can either go very negative with the fear of death and dying, or you can begin to realize things in a much more positive way, the, the, a real purposeful way, and reevaluate your life and really take a look at what matters in life. And one of the things that comes out in all the articles we're reading in the end is that it's time to think about others. It's time to think about things that are more altruistic and caring, not just ourselves. And I think one of the things that um, we wrote about in one of our papers a while ago, a long while ago, was on pride. And what barriers that puts up, in the, it's inappropriate competition, getting ahead, um, feeling that you're better than your neighbor and you're, you have more money or you have a higher position or more influence or whatever. And instead of having empathy and compassion, we don't. We begin to feel a very inappropriate kind of competitiveness. And what we've seen is uh, the inappropriate competitiveness will take anybody down without a thought about it. It's just like... It's survival type of absolutely. They don't even care. Yeah. And basically, it's at other people's costs, getting ahead at other people's uh, expense. That's very unhealthy um, competition and energy. There's also things that are healthy about it. Not that, but we can also look at it and take that energy and do something else with it instead of that. It can help us get ahead in caring for others. It can help us take our energy and put it to use in more caring, altruistic. Um, human-to-human uh, -human kinds of things, where the barriers begin to come down. The pride begins to break down, humility begins to come in, and we begin to realize our fellow man, we have people right around us, they're hurting way more than we are, and it's time for to, help to help them. Well, it's interesting, and here's what's really interesting about it. This is a real good way to stay well and healthy, and I'll tell you why. There's a part of our nervous system, there's a part of our brain that really has to do with self-care and healing and uh, self-restoration. When we do things from our, there's two, there's a thing called the frontal, prefrontal cortex. It's got left and right, okay? The right is not good, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, and what that, people who are more uh, um, dominant in that side. And then there's the left brain. That's the more artistic, the caring, altruistic side. And when you do things for others, that, le that side of your brain seems to get more stimulated and it, it, puts, it, it sends a message to the rest of your body. 
and it's so restorative, it's a source of fulfillment. It is satisfaction, fulfillment. It, it actually, it's, it's almost, it's chemical. It, it is a way to, it is to be restored and feel better. Absolutely. And it, so in other words, we're not talking about just doing it for, for goodness sake. It really is something that will help you to stay restored. It's a, it's a really excellent form of self-care. And there are neurophysiological components to it that helps you be restored, fulfilled, and um, healed. So that's a really important thing to know about caring for your fellow man and giving to others in need, even when you have to do it sacrificially. This isn't the kind of caring and charitability. I, I was telling somebody in the staff today, I, I, there's a charitability that people sometimes do, and it's not very authentic. It has much more to do with themselves and what they get out of it and getting kudos and, and they're not really doing it out of a good heart. They're doing it because they're, it's for themselves really. Well, when you put that kind of giving next to the kind I'm caring about, one is so phony right. and artificial and, and uh, uh, um, not It's not performance. Good. It's not good. Performance is part of it. Yeah. And the other is so genuine and yeah. heartfelt and real. Yeah. And you ask, well, which one is going to be regenerative, regenerative and healthy? It's the one where it's for real. And that means it's a selfless kind of love mm -hmm. for others. And even though it's coming through pain and you're seeing them suffering, you're going to feel it. You're going to get so much more for yourself by doing that. Now, that's an interesting thing about that. Um, when we talk about the external motivators versus the internals, we're talking about internal motivators, we're talking about intangibles. It has nothing to do but what you're going to get from somebody else or what you're going to accumulate or yeah. none of that. It has to do with the internal fulfillment and goodness. There's certainly a very strong spiritual side to this. Yes. Um, and it's a very self-enriching in the best way where I know people talk about self-enriching when they're talking about tangibles and they mean money, they mean wealth, they mean power, they mean influence, they mean pride. We're not talking about that kind of self-enrichment. We're talking about the kind that has to do with fulfilling your purpose. What really matters? And that's, this is a time in our life, in this crisis, that we have the time to reevaluate and to take a look at ourselves and our life. And well, we can take a look at things we've been doing for a long time, almost an automatic thinking it was fulfilling us and realizing that's not what was happening at all. This is a very important time to do some reevaluation. There was a newscast. Um, one of our staff, hello, we were talking about that, and she heard it, and I didn't agree with it whatsoever. And somebody was making, it was a, you know, there was some news commentary, and one of the experts came on, and he, and he was saying, we're not going to recover after this. People are not going to really get back they're to it. They're going to be slow. They're going to be slow. And, yeah. and I don't agree at all, because I know that's not true. I know people are chomping at the bit to get back. They want to, they're not wanting to live off of, they don't want to be desperate, but they want to work, they want to give, they want to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's going to be slow. I think it's going to be fast. But what, the one thing I think that's going to be an improvement is they've had time to reevaluate themselves and their lives and about what's really important. That's going to go with this next that's, stage. And I'll just say that that's another point that you've made many times and, in, and the things we've been reading make, even Viktor Frankl makes, that there's the value of time to reevaluate, to think about what matters most, to, to check in with yourself, but then, then it, the, the value means 
going out and acting on it. That's right. The, to take a look, to be reflective, to be uh, to take a look at these things is important, but without acting, it's incomplete. It's acting on what you discover, what has meaning for you in all of this, um, what you can do about it, and what you can begin to act on. I, I, I love it, and I, I agree with it. Um, and that follows up with what you're saying about the recovery doesn't need to be slow. There are people who yeah. are going to want to act on what they're I don't discovering. Think I don't think it's slow. I, I already see the momentum moving. No matter what, you know, there are some oppressive governors that are trying to shut people down. It's not going to work. People want to get back. And they, I see they're willing to take precautions, but they're not willing to be shut in and locked in and imprisoned. Right. And there's rebellions going on all over the world because of this for people who never would have rebelled. And they're doing it because they feel that this is so oppressive. And people, certain people in power are dictating some very oppressive... Um, very restrictive. Very restrictive. And it's not going to work anyway. Yeah. But I, I think this is an interesting time. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's easy at all. No. But we don't live... Personally, we don't live an easy life. But no one is now. But there is some value to slowing down and taking, having, even if it's forced, taking some time to really reflect mm -hmm. on, on uh, what this all means to me. And I think in that article by that, uh, theolog that theological professor, he also talked about the truth, living a truth now, and mm -hmm. stripping away all the things that really don't matter. In the face of such a difficult time. That's right. Yes. And living a more authentic, genuine life. now. You know, in normal times you talk about, oh, that sounds good, but this isn't that kind of time. This is a time when we are stripped. And the fears that we have, we bring, we're coming down to, most people are just terrified of death and dying. And they've kept it at arm's length. Well, going through this brings it closer and closer that death and dying isn't that removed. It's a condition and part of life. And as it does, it frees us up in some ways to not be so fearful anymore that we're all going to die someday. All our loved ones are going to die. Nobody's going to escape alive from this life. So it makes, it almost frees you up to live a better quality of life, more authentically, more purposefully, more lovingly, more selflessly, um, not as self-centered anymore, not as competitive and prideful and arrogant. But I think that this time is a time that we're all coming to a place that we're certainly um, I can't speak for everybody, but this is a time that people can find humility instead of pride and arrogance. And a lot of folks that were arrogant, they just did it as a way of life. They didn't know it, but it's a very fragile defense that when it comes down, most of those folks are stripped. And they haven't built an arsenal of authentic living to fall back on, or even survival skills, because they've used their arrogance and their denials as ways to survive, thinking that was going to be it. And the truth is, it's being stripped away. And usually it has to do with not feeling that we have control anymore, um, that all the things that we thought we, that gave us control are being taken away. Um, if you work in the extraordinary realities like we do, we're stripped all the time because we go in with the best intentions and lots of skills, but we're dealing with dying and death. And the difference of that, and to be in the face of that, is that we do reach situations that are absolute, we are helpless. We, everybody that I know, um, certainly at our institute, wishes they could do more and wants to. And there's certain things we can't do. We can make the person more comfortable. We can love them. We can embrace them. We can comfort them. 
but we can't do much of anything else except live with it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very painful, heart-wrenching thing to watch and to be part of. And yet throughout it, through all of that, it brings us to a more humble, selflessly loving, caring place of being truthful and authentic and really addressing the things that have to do with what really matters in life. What does it do after we get through the agony of it? it makes us better people. And that's what I live for. And that's what I want to convey and communicate today. And I, I know you do too. Mm -hmm, I do. And uh, we all live for it. Um, it's it's, a, it's a, a hardship and it's an incredible thing to do where you come to this resilience within yourself that only comes through suffering and struggling and working it through. How we're made. And also, it makes you realize that there's a power bigger than all of ours, and I call him God. And frankly, when you realize that in the midst of crisis and trauma, that's a time to reevaluate the spiritual element of all of us as well. Not religiously necessarily, but spiritual definitely. Anyway, heavy duty today, huh? Well, well we're in pretty heavy we're in. duty times. Yes. And we're sure seeing a lot of examples of the things we're talking about, good and bad. And let's shoot for the good and encourage more of you to think about making some new choices that are going to help you, your loved ones, uh, even in the midst of these difficulties, to make better choices that are going to come out meaningful and improve your life in the future. This, is, this difficult time isn't going to last forever. But you can take these important lessons with you to the next stage of your life and live a much better life because of what you're learning from this crisis. And that is what fulfills us. Yep. This is what means most to us, to be Absolutely. able to get this message out. Absolutely. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. We hope you'll consider giving to sctraumatreatment.org. Also, you can visit our website for the podcast. It is www.thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. And there you'll find uh, our podcast, our audio podcast. We're also a video on YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Please like us and share. Uh, the uh, SCTT also is initiating a GoFundMe campaign. And please check that out and... and any donation will be greatly appreciated and put to work right and can away. can I add one other thing? That we've had a nice, a sizable donation made today, but with a matching part of it that uh, that other donate, we would get another part of that if these donations are matched. Yes. So we really hope that more people will donate so we can match this and get the rest of this. and. And it's going to go to good use. It's going to help people in need. Yes, please do. We'd love to also hear your feedback. We always want it. Uh, you can uh, email me, Jenny, at BernsteinInstitute.com, 707-781-3335. Thank you for listening. Stay well.